Those storage, and I primarily am speaking of storage, not multifamily, the storage deals, they're readily available as long as we understand where, and here's the key, where that true economic occupancy sits. Because if they're sitting at 30 or 50%, chances are gonna be a heck of a lot more motivated to get that problem that you mentioned out of their hair versus if they're sitting and operating at 100%. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and invest in real estate without buying yourself another job. Today, our guest is Terry Hale. Today, we're talking about a few things. Terry has a wealth of experience as a commercial real estate investor, over 25 years of experience. He's invested all across the country in in a variety of asset classes. So he really knows his stuff. I mean, we'll just get that uh, established right now. And today, we're talking specifically about how and where he's finding opportunities in self-storage these days. What what he and his team are doing, how they're sourcing deals, how they're managing deals, how they're negotiating uh, financing with sellers, which is really interesting and getting uh, basically seller carry from the sellers. We get into it, don't worry about it. You're gonna learn how they negotiate the interest rates and the terms and get a good deal for themselves while also providing a good deal for the seller, right? You want the seller to walk away satisfied, but you also don't wanna overpay. You wanna get a price and terms that work for everybody. And that, those are all the things that you're going to learn about today. Great conversation. I'm a big fan of self-storage as an asset class. I think it's not well known enough, to be honest with you. Um, we don't tend to, I think, properly estimate how much demand there is for self-storage out there. And indeed, how much, uh, say, mom and pop owned supply there is where maybe we can come in, bring some technology tools and some improve, improved operations and earn ourselves a nice return. So wide-ranging conversation, but pretty much sticking with uh, self-storage today. I learned a lot, and I know you will as well if you're interested in learning where the opportunity is in self-storage right now. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and review, five stars if you don't mind. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank a bit higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I won't lie to you, it helps me feel good. I, I see all the uh, rating and, ratings and reviews that you guys leave, and I appreciate it so, so much. Great to see, and uh, once again, helps me feel good. If you do enjoy the show, take a quick second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And just to uh, break the fourth wall a little bit a little bit here, I'm getting over a head cold right now. I'm, I'm on the mend, but maybe my energy is a little off. I hope you'll pardon me. We tried to, or I did my best to bring all the energy here and, and keep up with Terry. He, he brought a lot of energy to the table today. And like I said, I've learned a lot. If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Like I said, I'm a big fan of self-storage, and I think it's still not well-known enough. If if you're investing in real estate and you want to move a little bit beyond the single families and maybe multifamily, you want to go a little bit beyond that too, that's great. Consider self-storage. It has awesome fundamentals, and I think there is a lot of value opportunity out there to be found. And that's what Terry and his team are doing. And that's what you're going to learn about today, where to find the value in self-storage investments, how to negotiate and deliver and 
really make it happen as a self-storage investor. Without any further ado, here we go with Terry Hale. Terry, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Hey, it's great to talk with you. It looks like you're, you know, enjoying yourself in the the nice weather out there in uh, Malibu, and uh, I'm certainly a little envious. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do, what you invest in, what you're working on today? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I've been investing in commercial real estate for about 25 years. And uh, when I started out, I was actually doing some uh, work as a contractor. And my father and his three brothers, they did uh, development and ground up construction. So, you know, I uh, obviously was bred into that. So I was always kind of in the know of real estate and quickly decided that um, I wanted to be on the other side of the fence that, you know, working out in this hot California sun and also in Texas and in Florida, where I've also reside, where it's just one of those things, man, just don't want to be working in the sun, right? We want to be in the comfort of our office and being able to understand acquisitions and the ins and out of the business. So I brought on a uh, mentor at that time who really wasn't a mentor. I uh, begged and pleaded with him and he put me to work for about five years. So that's how I got my financial legs. And um, at that point in time, I I actually uh, moved forward to do some more investing and the banks told me that they would not loan me any more money because my debt to income ratio was no good and I wasn't good on paper. So uh, I have a niche in this industry, Taylor, where I've re-introversed re-engineered my thinking and and kind of reversed my investment strategies and started realizing that there was plenty of property out there that was at the level of distress where it's operating with low economics. And so I started leveraging using creative strategies like management agreements with option to purchase and seller financing. And uh, moving forward in that regard, I didn't have to use banks and amassing a pretty nice portfolio in a short period of time. Uh, given about an additional three three to four years uh, after my five-year uh, startup, I really got uh, in tune with being extremely creative and people started flocking to me with capital to invest. And uh, it's basically where my focus is now is uh, re- you know looking at these recessionary-proof properties, staying away from the risk factor properties, and, uh, and really looking at repositioning um, distressed assets or nice, distressed awesome. land. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations on your, your success, and I, and I love hearing that. Now, um, the first thing that comes to mind uh, to, for me is when we hear you know, creative financing, things like that, a few of the, these phrases that you mentioned, I'm typically, I'm used to hearing those in the, say, single family space where you're dealing with distressed property owners and, and really, you know, it's just a different kind of transaction, whereas you're doing, you know, a lot of commercial real estate type deals. How does it differ? Can you give us a like a what does creative financing and, and all these strategies really mean for a commercial real estate investor? Sure, I got I got several. Obviously, I got lots of examples, but I'll, I'll give you ones that <laughs> I uh, really resonate with with the, your listeners and your audience because uh, I know this is all about you know building wealth and sharing those strategies. So, give you an example. I uh, I, I had located a property with a client of mine because that's what I teach my clients to do is to locate them, and I partner with them on a limited partnership. And one of my clients had located a property under my guidance in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, it was a 140 unit self storage facility. Uh, it was operating at roughly 30% economic, but it was sitting at 80% physical occupancy. And I always say that there's a story and a reason in each and every deal to be able to allow us to get creative and leverage. And uh, the story was basically, uh, it was an elderly couple that owned it. They wanted to go into retirement. 
they were forced to let this one individual run it because it was a friend of the family. It was a personal situation that they couldn't let the person go. Um, but he was putting money in his pocket, uh, hence the reason that it was sitting at up north of 80% physical occupancy, but only 30% of the people were actually paying. Wow. A lot of the in reality, we're paying, but they're paying cash. And that cash was going into his hip national bank. So, you know, the books were cooked, really didn't justify for bank financing. And the people and I basically said, hey, look, there's two ways for me to buy this. One way is to purchase it on what's showing on your actual trailing 12 months, your PL and your rent roll. And when I made them, when we started talking about the offer, uh, it was way too low. And they're like, look, this is less than replacement value. There's no way we're going to sell it for that. I said, well, it doesn't require bank financing. So the only flip side to that, if I were to purchase it, um, I would have to get a little creative. You become the bank. Um, you carry the note. I'll come in with 100000 down. Uh, you carry the balance. Purchase price on that one was 485 So they basically carried 375 at four and a quarter percent principal and interest on a 30-year amortization. It was cash flowing at closing. I held it for 120 days, uh, got rid of the manager that was not being um, someone of, of integrity and professionalism. I replaced uh, the, the swing gate, which is just a roll gate that he would open and shut every day with um, a, a motorized gate and a keypad, hooked it to a company called Easy Storage Solutions out of Utah, which is third-party management, marketing, and collections, uh, automated and modernized the facility um, within 120 days, had it 100% full, stabilized. And the property was worth north of a million dollars. The gentleman, Eric, who worked for Prime Realty at the time, because there was a broker representing the deal, came back to me and he said he knew of two brothers that used to own the old World Museum of St. Augustine. Uh, They wanted to do a 1031 coming out of their property. And we went back and forth on negotiations and we closed it out at 900,000. So I received a wire transfer within a whole nine month period, never visiting the property tailor. Uh, received a, a wire for like four hundred sixty-five thousand. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's one creative. Th- <laughs> <laughs> Definitely creative. One of the things that really strikes me out of that, I mean, there's many things in there that are that are fantastic, but you know, in principle, by having the owner become the bank, you were basically able to pay them more, right? Your offer was correspondingly higher if they became the bank. Why is that? How are you able to pay more at the end of the day if they're the bank as opposed to an actual bank coming in and being involved? Well, you know, the the fact is I was able to negotiate my down payment. I was able to negotiate my interest rate, um, call it a 30-year amortization, realize that all there really needed to happen was a direct mail campaign, an email campaign for those who actually provided email, and then using a company like Textiful on the phone, where I can text message everybody as well, letting them know that it's under pride of new ownership, new management, um, and it's time for them to pay their bill. And we even, for, for a lot of the people, we worked out a situation where we just settled for 50 cents on the dollar to get them back to paying to good paying customers. Um, we captured most of them. There was just a few that we couldn't get in touch with and a few that ended up leaving, um, which was fine. And a few that we overlocked and ended up having to force to get out. But uh, at the end of the day, it was extremely painless. And because I knew there was true value, we, we, I, I do in-house underwriting. And what myself and my team in-house do here in Malibu is uh, we look at a multi-prong approach. We look at dollar per door. Uh, we look at dollar per net rentable square feet and then to purchase on a cap rate. 
we buy as is, wears in its current state, in its current condition, and we don't pay performer or future value like brokers like to sell on. No, no disrespect to brokers. I get it. We want to sell for top dollar. I get that. That's what keeps the market strong. So I well respect that. But our, our metric and our methodology here is to purchase on that three-prong approach and understand that we, we hit the ceiling at a certain point, but we have a lot of flex because when something is underperforming at 30% economic occupancy, it's always worth way, way less, right? I mean, it's common sense, but when, when we see that if we were to get it operational back at 80 to 85%, which is market occupancy, the property is worth more like a million bucks. So I was able to go upward off of that 30% economic and, and come to that number. Uh, which is just shy of 500,000. And they were happy. It wasn't that they were unhappy at all. It wasn't like I was pulling the wool over the eyes of the little old couple. I mean, they were tickled pink to get away from it. It was a thorn. They didn't want to deal with it. I solved a problem, high level of integrity at my firm. And we're, we're just really proud of what we do. And we move projects. And if we're in a position where we're not going to close it and reposition it and sell it, we keep property all the time on our portfolio. And then we also um, offer a wholesale opportunity because I have a buyer's list. And if I do that, then I'm very transparent, very straightforward with the broker and letting them know that I'm not acting as a broker, but from time to time, if we have it and or signs, we can assign the deal as long as it's state specific that allows it because not all states do. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. Interesting. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, a variety of states and you've mentioned that you're in, you know, we said you're in Malibu, right? And I think this last property was in Florida, if I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, Saint Augustine, Florida. Saint yeah. Augustine, Florida. So, and you have properties all over the country. You didn't see this property in person at at any point. Nope. How do you handle like all of that, really? Because you you have to not only acquire the properties wherever they are, you have to see them before you buy them to know have a rough idea of what they're worth or what they could be worth, and then deliver and and sell on the back end. Yeah. How do you make that happen? You know, team system strategies, sure. to, you know, break us into it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what, what I did, how I, how I laid that property out and really justified if it was going to be a risk play or a reward play, because everything does have inherent risk, right? I mean, there's pretty much risk in everything, especially driving out here with all this traffic, beach traffic <laughs> right now. I'm glad I pulled over and had a chance to chat with everybody. But, um, you know, the, the, the fact is we, we actually leverage technology. And the first thing we do, as silly or elementary as it may seem, we use the power of just, you know, Google Maps and, and use satellite. And we look at the year the property was actually built. We waiver the fact if we're going to need a phase one environmental, we know what's on each side of the property. This historic data that we can pull as well. We look at how long the owners actually had ownership of the property, who owned it prior to, if they have, you know, a survey. 
a full scope of work of everything that's been done to the property. We do a deep dive into CapEx, which stands for capital expenditures, noting how old the property is, how old the roofs are, how old the doors are, slide locks, everything we know how to allocate. Typically, we allocate 5% for CapEx anyway. But if we know we're getting into a full like rehabber property, we we waiver the risk and reward of that. you know. And uh, I had uh, Eric actually... Um, he's pretty nifty with technology on the drone. And I had him literally take that drone. The video is like 30 minutes and he droned that whole thing. And he lifted uh, all of the doors that were empty, which were not that many because remember it's 80% plus full, but the ones that were open, he opened the doors and just showed me exactly that, you know, the, the base of what it was made from is cinder block and corrugated tin and all. And, you know, we, we really just look at these things and, and make sense to them, but it's not just for storage. What gets a little bit more convoluted is when you're doing the multifamily because all the doors got to read the same and they, they're not always reading the same, especially when people living in there, there could be a lot of deferred maintenance and they could really be trashed. So each property, you know, in its own right, mobile home, park, self-storage, ambulatory care, congregate living, assisted living, senior living, warehouses, retail, office over retail. I do it all. But the primary ones that I really look at are when people lose a home, they transition into multifamily, they need a place to put stuff for self-storage. And if the multifamily is through the roof because there's an influx of people, um, like like what's currently just happened on the cyclical downfall with 50 million people unemployed and uh, people relying on stimulus checks for new sneakers, um, I say that respectfully, <laughs> um, you know, uh, multifamily and low-income housing really and mobile home parks really are not my, my, key, my key focus. I really want to look at, you know, class really... Cl- C plus and B is really our, uh, our, our, our bread and butter. Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that you kind of mentioned some of these recent changes and you've had 25 years of commercial real estate investing experience and we're in unprecedented times, but all times are unprecedented at, in, yeah. to a certain extent um, when they happen. What do you see like now and what do you see moving forward? I mean, I guess it sounds like you're still probably bullish on on multifamily and other types of uh, commercial real estate but what are you expecting for you know the rest of 2021 and into you know the next few years I'm definitely I mean my crystal balls in the shop but I always say <laughs> com- I always say common sense that's not so common Taylor you know we, we all put our best foot forward and we all want to read and we all want to listen and watch and learn and and grow and and so I mean how valid is the information so my point being is is, you know, I don't get into politics and really it's kind of irrelevant to me anyway, because there's so many people behind the scene calling the shots, um, a lot of things happening. But, you know, the fact is with the, uh, you know, with the 50 million people unemployed, there's going to be a ripple effect. And hopefully that ripple doesn't turn into a tidal wave of unfortunate events. Um, I'm staying away from low income housing. I'm staying away from uh, uh, mobile home parks, um, all office retail all big box warehouse where we're dealing with less than 20 boxes. I stay away from because if you're dealing with twos and threes and four big box warehouse, somebody moves out. That's a huge hit. That's a quarter of your income or a third of your income um, that goes bye-bye. So I really like the, I really like the self-storage. It's a hot property type, more hot than ever. Um, A lot of different speakers, trainers, mentor, coaches, gurus that are out there talking about it, um, including myself. Um, but, um, you know, there's still the sweet spot statistics show there's over 50,000 self-storage facilities across the nation that are not corporate conglomerates that are actually independently owned and operated by mom and pop. Like 90% of them are owned by mom and pop and they're all industrial zones. So they're off the beaten path and people don't see them and they lack e-commerce websites or, or, or signage rights. And it only goes by drive-by traffic and word of mouth. So we're finding these 
deals that are like low hanging fruit that just need some repositioning and they have property for expansion. And as long as the market's not saturated and there's not a, a lot of these climate controlled corporates coming in, we can literally enhance these facilities and double their size for as little as $15 a square foot, which is pretty amazing. Nice. So that deal you mentioned earlier on in Florida was, was sound like it was pretty distressed sellers. And I've talked with some mom and pop owners of self-storage uh, myself through you know direct mail campaigns that we've done, but we haven't closed a deal uh, through that method yet. But one of the things that I, I would say that I, stumbling block for me personally was finding one, finding people that we're actually distressed and not just kind of tire kicking and looking for a knucklehead to pay too much. And then two, more generally, when you find somebody, come across somebody that is distressed, building that relationship with them so that, you know, yeah, I'm not going to pay a bad deal, right? I'm, I'm picking up your headache for you, but I'm also not trying to, you know, screw you. I want to give you a, a reasonable price but that doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to lose my shirt. So how do you handle finding those distressed owners and then building a relationship with them from afar in the first place? Yeah, I know. Great question. So some of the secret sauce that I definitely don't mind giving back because if I wasn't going to give back, I wouldn't be here. So it's all good. Um, there's a really cool platform. There's a three-day trial. Um, I definitely don't have an affiliate link or else I would insert it below. Go ahead and click the link below. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's called reonomy.com. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe some of your listeners have heard of it. Maybe everyone's heard of it. There's a three-day trial. You get individual um, direct cell phones to owners. It's a platform that I have some of my team use. Um, we also do direct mail as well. Uh, you're absolutely 100% correct. You do a direct mail. They're, they're receiving other mail from people too. And you know, you have to fish for the right key identifiers. And some of the key identifiers that um, my clients that do direct mail that we search for is right out of the gate, you know, um, how long have you owned it? Identifying who we're on the phone with. And then to second that, um, have you have you been looking to sell? Um, seeing if they truly want to sell it or like you said, are they just tire kicking looking for someone to come in and overpay? And then lastly, um, how intelligent is the data? And what we find, Taylor, is that if the if the here here it is, if the if the data is really not the intel that we need, like the books are cooked because they're taking in cash and they're they're not showing everything on the record. And um, and not only that, but they're they're not at market rents. And they, they really don't understand the ins and the outs of automation and modernization. Those storage, and I primarily am speaking of storage, not multifamily, the storage deals, they're readily available as long as we understand where, and here's the key, where that true economic occupancy sits. Because if they're sitting at 30 or 50%, chances are going to be a heck of a lot more motivated to get that problem that you mentioned out of their hair versus if they're sitting and operating at 100%. Mm -hmm. So that's important. And then we're also using good old internet. I mean, a lot of the deals that, we, that we're bringing in there, they're both multifamilies that are off of LoopNet and City Feet. And, you know, um, and we're using biz buy sell sites. Um, I had closed a deal uh, in a, a Q1 here, um, just closing out. Uh, and it got found off a of Craigslist. It was actually for sale by owner that was listed on Craigslist that was selling. Wow. And that was a multifamily. Um, we've uh, purchased property um, off of uh, Crexy, lots of property off Crexy. We did one in Clovis, New Mexico, one in Jonesboro, Arkansas, um, just recently, and another one in Cherryville, Kansas. So, you know, we're trickling around in, in these different uh, smaller submarkets right outside the MSA, right? The Metropolitan Statistic Area. And we're right outside the big cities, but in areas where there's more U-Hauls coming in than going out. 
And people are thinking real estate's in a world of hurt right now. And there's been a lot of talk with a lot of these gurus because I'm on their mailing list. All right. You guys don't have to be on their mailing list, but I'm on their mailing list. So I want to see what the heck you're sending out. And uh, I get the message. They're kind of putting in doomsday. And I really don't see that, man. I don't see doomsday in real estate. I think it's rock solid. Prices out here in Malibu are through the roof. Um, I have investment property out in Florida. That thing's going through the roof as far as appreciation. And um, the, the beautiful thing about what I do on the long-term seller finance carries is we're able to keep it for, for the four benefits, which is, you know, obviously appreciation, depreciation, cash flow, and then a cash out refinance after we create the value. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you're not working with any banks, just utilizing the seller finance strategy. Yeah. No banks. No, we're not. We're, we do work with, um, with both selective lenders. They're both Alt-A lenders that have a little higher rate, um, charge a uh, point on the front, some points on the back. Sometimes, sometimes they want a gross bump at the back end. Um, we are dealing with, um, you know, uh, private equity partners who want to jump in and, and take on some equity, um, as well versus just getting a return on their money. They'll take equity, which allows us to eliminate debt service. Um, and we use that capital for down, down payments, improvements, um, the only thing we put up is the EMD, which is the earnest money deposits. But we use some really cool, really cool tactics where we control that money. And um, this should be uh, enlightening for anybody who's like, I'd get into it, but I don't want to put anything at risk. Well, to eliminate risk, first and, first and foremost, you want to make sure that in the contract that you eliminate anything that states specific performance, where if you do not perform, they can come back and sue you. Unfortunately, some people are litigious and they try to push that. So make sure the box is checked that they cannot come after you for specific performance or better yet just red line it and cross it out in the contract and then in the contract also make sure that you utilize something called a unilateral clause which states that it's only just going to take your signature to get your money back sometimes you know if you're doing business with people and you wait to the bitter end and then you pull the plug because you couldn't really conduct proper due diligence and the intel was not that great you know it's not good discovery and you just didn't feel good when you woke up that morning you know um, and said, you know, I'm going to kill it. I know I still still have two days left and I possibly wasted a little bit of time, but you know, it is Latin caveat emptor buyer beware in commercial. We know this. <laughs> so, you know, if we pull the plug and they get pissed, they can tie up your money and then, and then you have to hire an attorney and then, then it gets tied up. And then a lot of times the attorney absorbs all that, all that earnest money. So if you put down a thousand bucks, 2000 or 5,000 or more, um, the seller, if they're disgruntled, they can hold your money back. Well, I've, I've, um, caught on to, and I'm not going to take credit for it. It was somebody that um, is very wealthy came to me and said, let me give you a tip, son. I said, what's that? And they told me, they said, make sure that you have a unilateral clause. And that was early in my career. And so now in all of my contracts, um, it just takes my signature to release my earnest money deposit. I stay in control hundred percent. I don't have to I mess have around. <laughs> yeah. Like First I said, time. I'm here to get back. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So uh, one more before we move on to the three questions and, and close out the show. Uh, interest rates are at all-time lows right now, right? And, and you mentioned earlier that you get to negotiate rates, uh, seller financing rates with sellers. Do you find that folks want uh, a, a large premium over you know, the 0% rates that they're getting through uh, you know, banks? Or where do they typically tend to fall? And is there a way to get them to you know, a, a sane number if they start out wanting you know, 10% or something like that. 
that's, you know, every deal is unique in its own. I love the question. Every deal, every deal is unique in its own because people can ask for whatever they want to ask. They can ask for whatever price they want for the property. They can, they can demand that you pay a higher interest rate. They want hard money rates. I have one deal right now in Edgewater, Florida, where it's 8% interest. And I just had tied up another deal and actually it's in Taylor, Alabama. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that one's got 4% um, interest. I look at interest as a tool, not to be long-winded on this example, but there's uh, amortization, right? And then you have zero amortization. And where you do away with amortization, you have 30-year, right? 25, 20, 15, 10, right? Um, Or even five. I mean, it can get as crazy as you want. But um, obviously, stretching it out like over 30 years on your amortization, that'll get your payment low. The only way to get a lower payment than that, Taylor, is to do interest only with no amortization. And there's very little principal buy-down within the first couple of years on a loan anyway. So I just like to structure mine on something that I refer to as an escalation of interest clause. And I play on the seller's greed both for that and also to get long-term, there's a big B buzzing by my head, both that and also to get uh, long-term seller financing. So what I'll do is kind of some of my secret sauce. I'll start off at, say, a point above prime, wherever that would be. And a lot of times they don't even know what prime is, so I'm not really insulting their intelligence, right? So I'm just like, well, I start off at like a point above prime. You know, it's around a 4%. And then for each year, we go up a half a percent. And the longer you carry, the higher the interest, but we cap it at 12%. So it would look something like year one, four, year two, four and a half, year three, five, year, get it? Half, a half, a half. And then all of a sudden, it'll start jumping points after five years because I know that if I had a time machine and I could go back five years and buy all the commercial property and zip forward, I'd be much, much wealthier because of appreciation. (laughs) So I get 10-year seller finance notes all the time. And then lastly, just to give uh, uh, one one just good, just punch in the cheek of, of education and give back, make sure that your seller finance note is assumable and transferable non-recourse. So what that means is non-recourse, no personal guarantee transferable, you can transfer that non-recourse note and it's assumable for somebody else to assume it, to step into your shoes and assume it. And by by doing those three things, non-recourse, transferable, and assumable, you literally have just created yourself a mountain of gold that you can take and you could leverage and continue to leverage because you can resell it and somebody else can step into your shoes of that amazing uh, orchestration on the negotiation that you put together. Nice. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started. 
or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Terry, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm born ready. Go ahead, Taylor. Love it. First one, <laughs> what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best investment I ever made, and I know everybody wants this to be real estate driven, so I'm going to give a two-part answer if I may, sir. Great. One, I retired when I was in my late 30s, and uh, I went away on um, personal business, and I came back, and the wife was having a rosé all-day party with her girlfriends, painting one of our rooms uh, a very pale pink. About uh, four months later, uh, same event happened. This time she was alone and I walked in, she had tears in her eyes and she was painting the room a pale blue. And I said to her, first is pink, now it's blue, you want a baby. We did nine rounds of IVF, which is invertile fertilization. And I had my son, Cash, and uh, there's a picture of me and Cash by the beach oh, hanging out. Nice. And, uh, and now Cash is going to be eight years old coming here to the end of this month in June. That's definitely a rock solid investment. And uh, of course, I named him Cash. What else would I have named them? Um, <laughs> with that said, other than my education, the second investment is the best investment that I made was in 110 unit in Texas and is a multifamily. I ended up buying it right and I negotiated a 30 year seller finance term on it. So I never have to walk into a bank and that's a non-recourse note and it is assumable and transferable. I'd say that was the best investment. Nice. Awesome. We had the best best investment or best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment was um, being being in business early on in my career and taking on a uh, a partner that was not qualified. And there's a lot of people out there that have mediocre, broken systems. A lot of people that put their best foot forward, and they're good people by all means. I believe for the majority, most people are good people. But when someone's got some motives and they're they're not good in business and they just lack um, professionalism and, and integrity, I got into business with someone that lacked just that. And we moved forward on a development project out in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And um, they tried to burn me on the deal. Um, they ended up losing their shirt on it. So I didn't feel so bad. Not that I'm vindictive in any regard, but it was probably a blessing um, from the higher power that they took me away from it, um, which was a good thing. And I did not have control. So my point being is always get educated and always have control of your deal. Just like I taught you how to control your earnest money deposit, make sure that there's only one captain to the ship because too many hands on the wheel rock the boat. <laughs> nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The most important lesson that I learned uh, in business and investing is use other people's money wisely. That's the most important. People think that just because you have OPM, other people's money, that you're not using your own capital, that you know that you don't have money to invest, or that you're lacking, and and you you know you lack in self worth, and that's so far from the truth. If you look at the big dogs, I mean the people out there like Ross Perot and Steve Wynn, and I, I won't mention Trump's name, but all these other people, right, that are out there that because I don't want to get into politics, but all those people are out there that are really moving big dollars around. Um, it's all leverage, man. They're using banks. They're creating relationship with Wall Street money. They're using REITs. They're 
syndicating. And there's a lot of people out there that are syndicating huge amounts of capital and they're not really using any of their own capital because they're leveraging. And I think that that's really sound advice. There's plenty of capital out there. Just make sure that you're using money in the smart way. Don't overpay for it. Don't give away all your equity. Make sure that you keep the control and make sure that you get educated so you're making the right decisions. And be good. Be a good person because that comes around, man. Karma, I'm a 100% believer in it. So keep going. (laughs) Nice. I love that. Well, Terry, thank you for joining us today and bringing us all these awesome lessons. I love self-storage and and most other commercial real estate, but um, it's great to hear that uh, self-storage is going so well for you uh, here thank these you. days. If folks want to you know, reach out, find you on the internet, learn about you know any of uh, the information you put out there or anything like that, where can they find you? So I'm easily accessible, a lot easier than most. And uh, you hit my website, it's terryhale.com, T-E-R-R-Y-H-A-L-E.com. If you want to reach me direct, I'm huge on support. I believe that support is one of the key the keys to success to make sure that you can you can move it forward and, and make it happen. And without the support, it's very difficult because you're ch- constantly chasing people. So my email is support at Terry Hale. I monitor that email. So if you want to get in touch with me in any regard, feel free to reach out. And Taylor, thank you so much for having me um, on this uh, awesome podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, likewise, thank you for, for joining us today. And thank you to everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.